turn with me to Genesis 27, I'm actually going to pick up with the last verse of the text Russell preached last week, just to frame the entire reading. The frame of this entire reading or the section begins with Esau's marriage to Hittite women and will end with Esau's marriage to Ishmael's daughters. And that's intentional, so I want you to get the whole frame as we read. But this is actually one of the longest passages we will read. So look with me. Genesis 26 and verse 34 is where I'll begin the reading officially. If you'll look there. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether or not you are really my son Esau. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. 
And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau's brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate all before you came? And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may pay, take possession of the land 
of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the daughter of Neboeth. Let me pray. Father, may we receive this as what it is, the word of the Lord. We know this is superintended by your spirit at the hand of Moses, not only for Israel, but for your people in every age. May we recognize in this text, riddled with deceit and disobedience, even among your people, may we see here the overruling hand of your grace. And may we rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, children and youth, I'm going to ask a question, but I don't want you to raise your hands and expose yourselves. But I have a question for you. When you've done something wrong, something you know is bad, something you know you shouldn't do, how often are you concerned, mostly concerned, is what I mean, that you will get caught and receive consequences from your parents? When you've disobeyed in some way, you often follow that disobedience that you participated in with deceit, with lying, with an attempt at cover-up, because you don't want consequences. In some way, you want to protect yourself from exposure and from consequences. And when you get caught, you want to cover up as much as you can. You might even cry. Like you come to your parents and they're like, I caught you doing this. I'm so sorry. But your main concern is the consequence, not the sin you committed. But when you sin against your parents, you're also sinning against the Lord. And that's even more important. Sovereign grace, this problem I'm pointing out does not just exist with our children. It exists among us as well. We disobey and we deceive. We violate God's law and we lie. And when we begin to reap what we have sown, we're fairly quick to give a kind of show of repentance in an effort to clean up our mess. We may even do so with tears. But our main concern is consequences for sin in the here and now, not grieving the Lord whom we profess to love. In pastoral ministry, we see this acutely when someone professes repentance for sin, and then we explain the long-term consequences for their sin. Let me give you an example, one that's actually happened. Let's say a man commits adultery and leaves his wife. Now he may meet with us and confess it's wrong, and he might even profess repentance and ask the Lord's forgiveness. And we're happy when he does repent to embrace him as a brother and proclaim to him Christ's forgiveness. 
Yet when we explain to him, here's what happens. When we explain to him that per Matthew 19, as Christ teaches in Matthew 19, he may not remarry. He then recoils in anger and tells us we're legalists. Never mind that Jesus taught that, and so I guess Jesus is a legalist. The fact is that the man is demanding consequence-free forgiveness. I want forgiveness with God vertically, and in the here and now, I want no consequence. But friends, that's not a promise the Lord makes. Yes, the Lord promises you forgiveness of sins when you trust in Christ and repent of your sins. But no, the Lord never, the Lord never promises removal of all earthly or temporal consequence. Never does. Does the Lord sometimes spare you of earthly or temporal consequence? Sure, sometimes he does. Does he ever promise to spare you of it? No. No, we see this clearly in our passage today. We will see the disobedience and deceit of Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau. In other words, all four characters in this chapter are disobedient and deceitful. We will see the earthly temporal consequences that arise from such disobedience and deceit. And we will see the Lord's overruling hand of grace in the face of that disobedience and deceit. So here's how we're going to approach this narrative. We're really going to approach it in three regards. First, the disobedience and deceit of the four characters. That's going to take up most of this passage. The disobedience and deceit of all four characters. Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau. Second, we're going to look at the ongoing earthly or temporal consequences for their sin. We'll look at that secondly. And thirdly, we're going to look at the overruling hand of God's grace. The overruling hand of God's grace. So let's consider their disobedience and deceit and look at the four characters in turn. Let's start there. The disobedience and deceit of all these characters. Let's start with Isaac. The first character we'll look at is Isaac. Look at Genesis 27, 1 through 4. And this will bring us back to why I started with Genesis 26, 34. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now you might not notice Isaac's disobedience here. When you just read this on first blush. But if you remember the narrative, since we went from Abraham to Isaac, and now we're in this whole genealogy of Isaac. If you remember the narrative, you will recognize that actually in this act, Isaac is being disobedient to the Lord's prophetic word. Disobedience is right here on display. God prophetically told Isaac and Rebekah that Jacob would be the one who receives the blessing. That the older Esau will serve the younger Jacob. He told them that in Genesis 25, 23. Isaac 
knows that prophetic word, and yet Isaac is saying, that's not the way I'm going to run this out. I've chosen Esau to receive this blessing. He is willfully disobeying the prophetic oracle he received. Further, he is willfully overlooking Esau's wicked rejection of the Lord's covenant promises. If you remember in Genesis 25, Esau, and Isaac knows this, Esau sold his birthright to gratify his belly. Isaac knows that Esau has sold his birthright. When he sold his birthright, here's what he was doing. I don't care about the Lord's covenant promises to bring about the seed of the woman through Abraham's line, through the line of Isaac. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about the covenant nor the covenant Lord. I care about gratifying my own passions. That's what he did. Genesis 25, 34 tells us he sold his own birthright for food. Further, Esau has rejected the Lord and his commands. Look at, again, Genesis 26, 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Okay, just stop there for a second. He just married two women. You understand. Genesis 2 makes it clear that marriage is between a man and a woman. I know this is hard for Americans. One biological man and one biological woman together in covenant before God for life. That's what Genesis 2 teaches. Jesus makes it really clear in Matthew 19 that that's what Genesis 2 is teaching. And if you cannot trust Jesus' interpretation of Genesis 2, we're all in trouble. You understand how that would be? And here, Esau takes two wives. Not only that, he takes two wives who were Hittite women. God had specifically forbidden the children of Abraham to marry pagan women. But he marries pagan women anyway. And notice what it says. Verse 35, chapter 26. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. These are pagan women who make life really hard for their father-in-law and mother-in-law because they're wicked. Now listen, Isaac rightly wants to extend the blessing of God's covenant promise to his son, but Isaac disobeys the prophetic word and arrogantly grasps after that blessing for Esau. So let's consider now Isaac's wife. Isaac's wife. So there's Isaac's disobedience. Now let's consider Rebekah's deceit. Genesis 27, verse 5. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. You're going to notice, by the way, that Rebekah is quite the meddler. She's always listening in somehow. She even knows what people are saying to themselves. You'll see that later. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. 
Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Rebecca is meddling, and Rebecca is deceitful. She's deceitful. Now, note what Rebecca is doing right. She rightly sees that her husband is going to sin against the Lord's prophetic word. What do you mean you're going to give the blessing to Esau? God said that belongs to Jacob. She's right on the money about that concern. But rather than intervening by prayer or by going and speaking to her husband, saying, what are you doing? Remember what the Lord said? Rather than doing any of that, she practices deceit and cunning. She rightly believes the blessing has been promised to Jacob, but she wrongly tries to force God's hand to make the promise of fulfillment herself. Rebecca's meddling and deceit does not stop there, though. After this whole thing goes down, Esau wants to kill his brother Jacob. So go forward to Genesis 27 and look at verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Notice, Esau said to himself, I'm going to murder him. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. Now, nobody in the world knows how that happened. Somehow it did. I mean, I have children, and I'll often say when, you know, they're grown-ups now, and I'll often say when they're telling me something, my wife will be like, I'm like, oh, isn't it great to see what they're doing? My wife's like, I think they're playing you. I'm like, no. No, they're not. Turns out they are. She's right. It drives me nuts. And I think, okay, maybe this is what's happening here with Rebecca. She knows her older son. I have no idea, but somehow she knows. She's been told what's in his heart. And there's what goes on. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Notice she's plotting again. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? In other words, this is going to be a Cain and Abel situation. Your older brother is going to murder you, and then I'm going to end up with no sons. So go to my family's house and get a wife from there. Now watch, she's about to play Isaac, her husband. Here comes the deceit. You ready? Verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. That's a strong statement about your daughter-in-laws. My daughter-in-laws cause me to hate my life. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Look, if another one of my sons marries a woman like this, I might as well die. This is horrible. 
curious to see how that plays out. What she's doing, what Rebecca's doing is she's convincing Isaac, you've got to send Jacob off. Look at how terrible our daughters-in-law are. Send Jacob off. She's not telling Isaac the truth. Hey, Esau wants to kill him. She's saying, let's stage this in a way that looks really good. You know your son should not marry a pagan woman. You know Esau already has. We need the promise to Abraham to be fulfilled, so send him to my family's house. Really what she's looking for is to get him away from Esau. But she plays it up in a sort of righteous way, if you will. Rebecca convinces Isaac that her primary concern is who Jacob marries. Now that's a proper and legitimate concern, who Jacob marries. However, it's clear that she's trying to protect Jacob from Esau's wrath, and she's manipulating her husband to that end. But in doing so, she has a clear co-conspirator in her deceit. So Rebecca's not alone in her deceit, so let's consider Jacob. Jacob, our third character. Look at Genesis 27 and verse 18. So he went into his father, this is Jacob, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Do you guys just catch the first lie? Comes into his dad. Who are you? I'm Esau, your firstborn. Complete lie. But Isaac is blind, so he can't see him. Verse 20, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? How'd you find this game so fast? Again, his father's like kind of onto him. Something doesn't seem right here. Jacob's answer is atrocious. I mean, it's, it's egregious. His answer, look what he says. End of verse 20. He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Listen, the Lord your God, Yahweh Elohim, this is the first time that's said in the Old Testament. And it's said in the context of lying. He invokes the name that Israel will use, the Lord your God, to lie to his father. It's egregious. It's a little bit like saying, I swear before the God of all, right? The Lord we both trust in. Our covenant God has been so gracious to us. I swear he gave me success in the hunt. Just lie. If you don't think people can invoke the name of the Lord while they lie, you have too high a view of the human heart. Let's continue on. 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to his father who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? Third time. For Jacob to be able to come clean. You know what this is like as parents. Here's your third chance to come clean. He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, now here comes the blessing. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you 
of the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. In other words, may you have everything you know, like a land flowing with milk and honey, everything you need. Let the peoples serve you, all the nations of the earth, and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Jacob lies three times to get this blessing. What's interesting is he lies three times to get a blessing that actually already rightly belongs to him. But at the behest of his mother, Rebekah, he's going to take the blessing by deceit. And Isaac does give him the blessing. He's going to be blessed with plentiful and fertile land. He's going to be blessed to be a mighty nation whom other nations bow down before. His offspring will be a source of blessing or cursing for all the nations. What you're summing up here with land, seed or offspring, and blessing is the Abrahamic promise being passed down to Jacob. It's passed to Isaac and now to Jacob. Now we're going to return to that more later. Now that you've seen Jacob's deceit, let's consider our fourth character, Esau. Let's look at Esau's deceit. Verse 30. You know what, actually, before I consider Esau in the immediate story, I want you to pay attention to how the whole story's bracketed. I don't want to forget this. Moses has intentionally bracketed this story in an interesting way to catch our attention with regard to the nature of Esau. In 2634, Moses tells us that Esau is a polygamist with pagan women, Hittite women, whom God expressly told them not to marry. Now look at chapter 28 and verse 6. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aaron to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, which Esau had already done twice. Jacob shouldn't do that. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to take a proper godly daughter. Nope. Esau went to Ishmael. Because understand, Ishmael is the son of Abraham who is under the curse. Doesn't believe. He's the seed of the serpent. He's going to be a problem, a thorn in the side of his brother forever. And that's where Esau goes. He went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had. Moses wants you to pay attention to that. Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. So you notice he goes and takes a daughter of Ishmael. So this is the bracketing of Esau's life. He participates in polygamous marriage to Hittite or Canaanite women. He participates in ungodly marriage to Ishmael's daughter. And what you end up with there is an identification of Esau and Ishmael as essentially the same kind of man. Or, in this case, the Hittites, the Canaanites, and what will become from Esau, the Edomites, as a people opposed to God's people. The story set against Esau wickedly marrying Hittite women and concluding with Esau marrying women from Ishmael's line. Thus demonstrating that not only is Ishmael the seed of the serpent, but so is Esau. He's in league. Esau's in league with Ishmael, pagans, and all those who oppose the Lord and his church. Now look at Genesis 27, 30-38. In that context with regard to Esau, look at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, 
Esau's brother came in from his hunting. It's like almost like two ships that passed in the night. They barely missed each other. It was like this moment in which they could have collided, but they barely missed each other. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently. It's like he's trembling. The Hebrew here is just very violently. I guess we could bring it out with more exaggeration than that. But the idea is, is that it's like his whole body is trembling, like his body and soul. He's so frustrated. And said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he is taking away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Here's Esau, like, he's a cheater. Jacob, the cheat, the deceiver, the usurper. This is what's interesting about Esau's complaint. Esau sold his birthright. And then Esau married pagan women. And then Esau was participating with his father and trying to take a blessing that rightly belonged to Jacob, knowingly. And he's complaining like, I just can't believe it. And he's crying, I want it. You know what Esau's concerned about? I've lost out on earthly blessings. He doesn't care about the Lord at all. And he's upset about it. Verse 37, Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now remember, Esau happily sold his birthright for food, but here he complains as if he's completely innocent. He was strategizing with his father to take the blessing of the Lord that belonged to Jacob. Esau did not want a blessing Because he trusted the Lord and his covenant promises. That's not what he was looking for. In fact, Esau's entire life militated against faith in the Lord. His entire life. He was always looking out for himself. He was always trying to gratify his own passions and self-interests. He weeps like he's repentant. Hebrews 12 tells us he was not. He was not repentant. He weeps, though, as if he was repentant. But it was worldly sorrow. It was not godly sorrow. He did not want the Lord. He wanted what he thought the Lord could give him. And the blessing he gets is more of a curse. So look at verse 39, chapter 27. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. Remember, Jacob is going to be near the fatness of the earth. Esau is going to be away from the fatness of the earth. And away from the dew of heaven on high. This is an exact reversal of Jacob's blessing. It's really a curse. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother but when you grow restless you shall break his yoke from your neck. There's going to be this conflict between Jacob and Esau and Esau really ultimately will be under the foot of his brother Jacob. It's a reverse of Jacob's blessing. Like unbelieving Ishmael 
Esau shall live a violent life in opposition to God's people. Like Cain, he opposed his own brother. Esau grew up among God's people. Keep this in mind. Esau grew up among God's people. He had believing parents. He heard the covenant promises. He received the covenant sign of belonging to God's people, the sign of circumcision. And yet, Esau never believed. He never believed. He never wanted the Lord. Rather, he merely wanted the goods he thought he could get from the Lord. He never had repentant faith. His faith was sometimes sorrowful. He did have faith, friends. Worldly faith. Unrepentant faith. Sometimes sorrowful, but only in as much as he was losing some good in his life. God was someone he used, not someone he really believed in. He never sorrowed as one who was losing his soul in the life to come. He sorrowed as one who was losing his goods in the here and now. Now let's turn to our second really major point that will come fairly quickly. The ongoing temporal consequences or earthly temporal consequences for sin. I want to meditate for a moment on what we see here with Isaac, Rebecca, and Jacob. I want you to think about this. Isaac, Rebecca, and Jacob, all three of them believed in the Lord. They believed in the Lord. They believed in his covenant promises. They all did. They were true believers. Yet all three of them try to force their own agenda on the Lord. They would have the Lord's promises on their own terms. And though they trust in the Lord, and God's grace is greater than all their sin, they end up paying significant earthly or temporal consequences for their sins. Think of how the behavior of Isaac and Rebekah destroyed their family. Esau hated and wanted to murder his brother Jacob. Listen, if you've done things as parents, deceitfully and disobediently, such that your children want to murder each other, you have failed. Further, Jacob was sent away. Do you understand that he was gone for decades? Now, consider this. Rebecca loved Jacob deeply. But because of Rebecca's deceit, she sends him away. She never sees him again before she dies. Imagine the heartbreak for a mother when her sons are at such enmity that they want to murder each other. And to keep one from being murdered, one who's about to be murdered because of your own deceit, you send him away and never see him again. Those are horrific temporal consequences. Just horrific. Further, Jacob's deceit meant he has to be sent away from home. He has to watch his back most of his life, lest his brother attempt to kill him. Jacob will himself be deceived by his future father-in-law. One more. Esau married so poorly and disobedient to God's word that his wives caused serious strife for his mom. She loathed their own life because they were so difficult. Again, these are temporal consequences for sin being suffered even by believers. I touch on these because we often explain to people that while trust in Christ will bring you forgiveness of sins and eternal joy, that does not mean it resolves all the temporal consequences for your sin. Think of King David. King David sings what I would argue 
is the greatest song of repentance, asking the Lord for the forgiveness of sins that's ever been penned, Psalm 51. He also penned Psalm 34, which is like it's twin as a great psalm of repentance. He pens Psalm 51 right after Nathan the prophet confronts him about his sin with Bathsheba. You guys remember this? Against you and you only have I sinned. And he goes on to ask for God's forgiveness. Yet, David also suffers after that repentance. After knowing the forgiveness of sins, he suffers the loss of his first son. The son he has with Bathsheba. And he has one of his sons turn the entire nation against him and attempt to hunt him down and kill him. As a parent, I want you to think about the consequences. If your sin led to the death of one of your children, imagine absorbing that. But let's ante it up. If your sin not only led to the death of one of your children, but led to one of your children turning a whole nation against you and trying to hunt you down and murder you? I don't even know how a parent lives through that. Those are the consequences of sin being experienced by a repentant and forgiven man, a man after God's own heart. Now here's the objection. If the Lord forgives us, why does he cause us to suffer temporal consequences for our sin? Listen to how William Bridge, one of Puritan writers, addresses that. He does never suffer, listen, he does never suffer any of his people to fall into any sin. His people we're talking about. He does never suffer any of his people to fall into any sin, but he has a design by that fall to break the back of that sin that they do fall into. Sovereign grace, if you belong to Christ then God permits you to fall into sin because he's designed by that fall to break the back of that sin in your life. We can see that again and again in Scripture. David becomes proud as a result of his God-given ascendancy in Israel. The Lord permits his fall into sin to expose his own heart to him and to break the back of his pride. If you're in Christ, the Lord will be sure to do the same for you. That's why we can see that God disciplines his children. The discipline of that children is painful for the present time, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who are trained by it. We should be thankful that the Lord will let us fall into sin, suffer the consequences of that, in order to break the back of that sin in our lives. I'm not saying that's easy, but I'm saying that's eternally good for us. That leads to my final point, the overruling hand of God's grace. The overruling hand of God's grace. Look at Genesis 28, 1 through 5. We'll conclude here. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now look at the blessing that's going to come. God Almighty... Bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. And off he goes to Rebekah's family. 
The language in Genesis 28, 3 through 4 is not incidental. This is the language of the Abrahamic covenant. In fact, in Genesis 28, 3, he addresses God as God Almighty or El Shaddai, which is the same address of God in Genesis 17, 1. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Further, he says, may El Shaddai make you fruitful and multiply you. If you remember, that's pulling from Genesis 1.28 in this commission or command given to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God, knowing man has failed in that end, promises Abraham in Genesis 17, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And now that's also being passed on to Jacob. In other words, the seed of the woman will come from you who will bless the nations. The whole promise of Abraham is reiterated here to Jacob as we saw in Genesis 27. Now pay particular attention to one phrase. Look there at Genesis 28.3, the last phrase. That you may become a company of peoples. I don't love the word that we translate company. I love the word. I don't love company as a translation. This is the first time the word that we translate assembly, the assembly of Yahweh, or as the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, often translates it, the church, the ecclesia. This is the first time it ever appears in the Bible. I want you to think about this. As a result of the wicked behavior of Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob, Jacob has to be sent away to Rebekah's family. And what will come from him going there? A wife? Two of them, actually. Another matter we'll deal with later. And offspring. And what will come from Jacob's offspring? A church of the nations. A church of the peoples. This is the amazing grace of God. In all of this, God relentlessly works, even through our sin, to bring about the fulfillment of his promises to save us. Was it not the fall of Adam that preceded the promise of the Christ? And what greater righteousness can the world know than Jesus Christ? Think of that. The greatest righteousness the world can know came into the world as a result of our fall into sin. Think of the, if you will, overruling hand of the grace of God in that. God gave us everything, including himself, and we sinned. And then in response to our sin, God gave us something greater than he had already given us. Was it not the sin of man that brought about the crucifixion of the Christ? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever you, Lord, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God put forth Christ as a sacrifice for sins, and he was crucified by the hands of lawless men. Think of that. Our sin, our sin brought to us because of God's overruling hand of grace, the greatest grace we could ever know.
in the giving and crucifixion of his son. What greater sacrifice for sin could there be than that, that of Jesus Christ bearing the wrath due to us on the cross? His wrath-bearing sacrifice, think about this, is more satisfactory to God than a thousand eternal hells. So how can that be? Unbelievers, when they go to hell, they must suffer the wrath of God for their sin forever. And yet, they can never, think about that, they can never for all eternity fully quench God's wrath for their sin. But upon the cross, the infinitely glorious Son of God and the truly human Son of Man could cry out, it is finished. The debt is paid in full. Observe the overruling hand of the grace of God. The fall and sin of man is infinitely grievous to the Lord. Your sin, my sin, infinitely grievous to the Lord. Yet his grace is greater than all our sin. Herein is God's great promise. He created us. He commanded us to live a particular way in accord with his law. We sinned. And because of the love with which he loved us, he sent his only begotten son to be our savior. Second Adam, the seed of the woman, the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Christ perfectly kept God's law in its precept, that's his commands, and its penalty. That's the wrath due to us because of the violation of his commands. Christ conquered sin, death, and Satan as he walked out of the tomb upon his resurrection, and everyone who believes in Jesus is saved, forgiven for their sins, made new, enters eternal joy. And Christ sent his spirit to proclaim that gospel in all nations through his church so that all who truly hear may be saved. May God be pleased to work through us to that end. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that we know in Christ. In spite of all of our sin, you have graciously saved us in your son and you have gathered your church from all the nations. We pray that we would continue to Proclaim Christ our salvation, that even as we suffer temporal consequences for our sin, that we would not grow in pride, but that those consequences would break our pride, break the back of the sins with which we most struggle, cause us to grow in grace so that we honor the name of Christ. Help us never forget that we need not be discouraged, that you will reject us if we are yours. For you sent your son when we were in complete and utter wicked rebellion against you. If you gave your only begotten son while we were your enemies, how much more will you save us now that we're your friends? May we give thanks for that and rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.